0: Hey, it's me, Travis, your host. I'm doing my own pitch. (laughs) How lame is that? So anyway, yeah, if you listen to this podcast, thanks. But be forewarned, you could be unfriended, unfollowed, and uncompromising if you listen to Rethinking Revelation. What? Are you kidding? We got an awesome podcast here. Welcome back to another exciting adventure of Rethinking Revelation. I'm your host, Travis Finley. Yeah, so here we are. I'm tired. I had a long day. I was stuck in Long Island on 495. There was a uh, trash truck spill. Took up two lanes. It was a hazmat thing. Sand everywhere. And the car in front of me, as we were sitting there for at least an hour in just dead stop traffic, uh, was an Uber car. And, uh, the woman inside was pregnant, and they had to, uh, stretcher her out of the car. She was taken, I don't know, maybe she wasn't, like, in labor before, but, uh, the, uh, paramedics came, a couple fire trucks came, and, uh, they, they carried her out in a stretcher. And, uh, hopefully everything came out all right. (laughs) But uh, anyway, so yeah, here we are, episode 71.5, and we are continuing the Frederick Faith Debate program, recapitulation of my interview there with uh, Jace Broadhurst and Troy Skinner, the hosts of Frederick Faith Debate. Um, so we're going to pick up, yeah, we've got uh, got a long way to go, and miles to go long. Uh, sorry, Robert Frost, I'm sorry, I apologize. I'll just, I'll just stop. I'll just do this. But before we do that, I just have to tell you about this brand new app that John Sedlak turned me on to because Johnny and I uh, talk quite frequently on the phone and the stuff that we talk about is is often, I think, very profitable for our discussions, but we can't record while we're driving, because he is as smart as our smartphones are, if I have, if I am on the phone and I try to open up the voice recorder, it won't do it at all. First of all, second of all, it would only be able to record my voice. Third of all, the ambient noise behind it all would be atrocious. And uh, so uh, Johnny took it upon himself to to scour the 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 app store, and he found. Tape a call. Tape a call. And it is amazing. It's amazing. It's incredible. It does exactly what I wanted it to do. And so now I've got like 20 phone calls that I have to edit and there's no way I'm going to do it. It's just, but they're there. They're there. So tape a call. They have a free version. They have a $10 version uh, per year and uh, it's worth it if you are a podcaster or I don't know who you are out there, but if you want to blackmail someone. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. Tape a call. Awesome. And here's proof with one of the phone calls. I can't
1: hear yeah, yeah. Okay, there we are. Yep.
0: We are we are recording.
1: Are we being recorded? I think so. Are you recording this? Well All I right. don't have All I right. don't have any way to not record it because there is no stop button for me. Huh. It it just says uh conference call, uh conference, tap to talk, yabby yabby yabba. Okay. Interesting. Alright, so uh what's up? So what have you what, what do you got for us to, to do? All of our good stuff was yesterday, all of our conspiracy theories were yesterday. Yeah, I know. What can we talk about? <clears throat> um, should I test to see if it still records? Uh I don't know. When I'm on another app. Uh yeah, sure. That would be an interesting uh Yeah, right. So let's see if it can do this. So and technically um hang out the drive, it still that open, still that open. So the I mean from everything I know it's still recording. Okay. And I'm looking at my Bible app. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not (laughs) eat of the fruit of the tree. (laughs) I I can't handle it anymore. I was like, when you first started reading, I thought, is this? Is this an app voice? Because if it is, it's completely insane and awesome, and I want one. I can do lots of voices. Oh, man, that was beautiful. But that was serp- so awesome. The serpent said to the woman, you shall, you'll not surely die for good news, the one you eat of your I'm going to crush your None good from evil.
0: If that's not amazing, I don't know what is that's just fantastic so tape a call there you go free advertising and here we go with our regular scheduled program going to hear that report from the uh, reporter, but you get the idea. A lot of people talk about the end of the world, and a lot of people talk about when they die, they're going to heaven, uh, and or when Jesus comes back, that's when we're going to go to heaven, or whatever, all those sorts of things. Well, when we read the Bible, and what it says about the end of the world as we know it, including the tribulation and the second coming of Christ, are we reading history, meaning that it has already happened? Or perhaps partially history, with some of it having happened, with More yet to come, or is it all futuristic? Saying it is history is called preterism. Preterism divided generally into two camps, full preterism and partial preterism. Full preterism takes the view that all prophecy in the Bible has been fulfilled in one way or another. Partial preterists take the approach that some but not all prophecy in the Bible has been fulfilled. This might be kind of overly simple the way I'm putting it here, but I only have so much time. (laughs) So to expand and explain on today's faith debate, Jace Broadhurst and I are joined by Travis Finley, a seminary-trained blogger and podcaster of a pro, uh, program called Rethinking Revelation. And last week, we kind of well, we wrapped up in the middle of a thought, but we, uh, we we wrapped up at a point where there were more thoughts about to spill out, and we had to come to a close. And I charged Travis with hanging on to those thoughts for a full week, and uh, he's genius enough that he was able to hold on to those thoughts for a Week. I feel like we really got somewhere last week, but like at the very end, right when we're about to. The way it always happens. Basically, said there's parallels in Isaiah, Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem yeah. is is the new heavens, this is the create this new creation. Oh, yeah. yeah. That that's that turns the tape. but kind of I guess see where you're coming from. So the question becomes: Are we going to interpret the Bible consistently, or rather, be, what? That's too harsh, isn't it? It's like arguing. My view is the biblical view. Yeah. yeah, my view is consistent. Yours is more, more than a, inconsistent. I I, I want to argue highly for the uniformity of Scripture. Okay, the, the the scriptures are uniform. That is, what we see in the New Testament is not discontinuous with the old. Okay. Um. So, but so it's all about context, and I and I'm going to say that I believe that the historical context within which to understand the entire corpus of Genesis to Revelation is the history of God's operation with Israel under Torah, okay? So when we um, when we read in Matthew 24 uh, this, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, Then they will deliver you to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name. At that time there will be uh, many will fall away, will betray one another, hate one another, false prophets will arise and mislead many because lawlessness increases, many people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. The gospel of this kingdom shall be preached to the whole Oikumene. I'm going to talk about that in a second, as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. Okay? I said this before, that when we read the scriptures, we have paradigms in our operating system. We have apps that are running, that when we read a certain passage of scripture, we have hyperlinks to topics that we think are consistent. This is what this means. This is what this means. That's how we understand the scriptures. So we don't necessarily always ask ourselves these questions, but the question that I'm going to ask you, if you're going to be looking at Matthew 24, is what end is Jesus talking about? When he says, then the end will come, what is he talking about? When he says, the one who endures to the end, what is he talking about? I think that if we look at the the context of Matthew 24, and we look at the disciples' question of Jesus, they say, they ask, tell us when all these things will happen, And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Okay, so the end of the age then defines what Jesus is talking about. I think if we're talking about uniformity, he's not talking about something different than what they're asking. So what are they asking about? Well, in Matthew 23, Jesus delineates his woes against the religious establishment. And he says to the Pharisees, that upon your generation God is going to wreck havoc on your heads for the shedding of prophetic blood from the time of Abel until now your fathers have shed the blood of my people of my prophets my spokesman right I mean just think about it. I have chills right now thinking about all of the parables that Jesus uses when he talks about there's this great king and he had a vineyard sent out his messengers and the vineyard uh, um, tenants killed the messengers. That's what Jesus is talking about. And he says to the Pharisees, you say, well, if we were alive when our fathers were, we wouldn't have killed the prophets. And Jesus says, OK, prove it. Right. 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 The irony. Why are you laughing? This is right there. Yeah. And, and they're going to kill him. And he says, okay, prove it. Prove that you are different than your fathers. In fact, Jesus says, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Here's me. Here I am. What are you going to do with me? Kill him. Crucify him. And then he says, I'm going to send you uh, my, my witnesses. And you're going to pursue them from town to town. And you're going to flog them in the synagogues. Some of them you're going to murder. And some of them you're going to crucify. And I tell you, all of these things are going to come on this generation. That is a huge uh, theological concept that I think gets demonstrated as culminating in the book of Revelation. There are at least four passages in the book of Revelation, Uh, chapter 6, I can think of chapter 16, chapter 18, and chapter 19, where the... And if we're not paying attention, if we think that this is all future, we just think of it as future. But you can't not divorce what follows the Olivet Discourse from the Olivet Discourse. So I have a way of saying it. I say everything after the Olivet Discourse is about the Olivet Discourse. What the Olivet Discourse discourse delineates, we see recapitulated from uh, Acts, Acts to Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, this vindication of, of the martyrs of God, those who were slain for their testimony, happens four times in the book of Revelation. To me, that is a huge indicator that when Jesus says, this generation will experience these things. And then in Matthew 24, this generation will not pass away until... okay. But the key is this generation. Jesus is saying there's a judgment coming on this generation. The book of Revelation has that same um, motif, that same theme, four times. And the point of clarification, based on what you're saying here about the book of Revelation, you, I guess, hold that the book of Revelation was written within two or three decades of Christ's crucifixion? Well, no, no. I think that it was, uh, again, I'm not an historical theologian. I, I would say it was probably written as late as 66. As early as sixty four. Okay, but, but it was written before, before the 70s. Yes, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Well, so far, all of the points that you're making, uh, unless I'm, I just might be dense, but I'm not seeing any of them unwinding my millennial partial preterist yeah. views. Okay. So, yeah. Right. So that's what I'm saying. That's the coming that Jesus is talking about from the beginning. That's what his coming is. So is there still anything? So what I mean? Yeah, we're in the kingdom. Yeah, we we continue to see. Again, this is biblical theology shows us what the entire story is about, right? What God does through Israel in typology, right? We talk about anti-right does this. I mean, well, this well, is biblical theology. You don't mean people who are biblical in their approach to theology. You're talking about the discipline of how you understand. The Bible fitting together as a po- biblical theology yes. as opposed to systematic theology. Okay, this correct. is the way. This is the way I put it. Biblical theology is the is the cake with all of its decorations and frosting, and systematic theology are the ingredients laid out. So you can see the eggs, you can see the sugar, you can see the baking powder, on and on. Okay, now, often people will use uh, as interchangeable phrases biblical theology or redemptive historical theology. Are you using it? in that I sense would be as comfortable. Well? S- you, uh, Okay. Equivocating those. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Bib- Another way I say it is, biblical theology is God's presentation of a story. Systematic theology is man's breaking down of that story into categories and themes and whatnot. You, you would hope that systematics would follow biblical theology. I, I place biblical theology as predominant over systematics. Systematics should take a back seat. Yeah, I do too. Although, all the systematicians out there, I, I love you as well. <laughs> All right, so let me let me go back. So okay, so understanding the end, what what is Jesus talking about? The end of what, Jesus? The end of the world? The destruction of the physical cosmos? What, you know, how do we understand his term? So, um I said that I was going to talk about the the word that I I chose not to read as world. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world. This is what the ESV says on my on my text right now. This gospel will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all of the nations, and then the end will come, okay? If you think that the gospel has to be preached to the whole world before the end comes, guess what? It hasn't come yet, because we still have people who haven't heard of the gospel. We still have possible indigenous nations and people groups that that are still cannibalistic and have never heard about Jesus. So, of course, the end hasn't come if that's what the text means. However, I believe translation is important. Translation is important. However, we don't have a translation here. We have an interpretation. The translators have interpreted for us what they think the Greek word oikumene means. Okay, so in the Greek, it would read, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole oikumene as a testimony to the nations. So... What does oikumene mean? In the Greek, there's at least two words that are translated into the world, cosmos and oikumene. But if you read in the English the same word for those two words, you don't know which one's being used. So you can't delineate, oh, this is oikumene and this is cosmos. So when the when the census went out when Jesus was born and it went out into the whole world. The word is not cosmos, it's oikumene. That sets the context for where the census took place. I am comfortable saying that the word oikumene should be understood as an empire. Okay. So, I'm I'm, I'm not challenging, I'm asking for clarifications. I think I've seen a hermeneutical uh, inconsistency. When Jesus says generation, he must mean the generation of those who are alive and living right now. But when Jesus says world, he doesn't necessarily mean the whole world. So aren't we picking and choosing which words we're going to take literally? Depends on on how well you argue your case. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. I don't want to get distracted with that too much. But to say, all that to say, you have oikumene and cosmos. So you have two different words, Okay. You can't, in my opinion, translate them both with the same English word because that will influence the way you interpret the meaning of that agree. word. I think okay? that the translators sometimes do us a disservice when uh, we, we don't have—it uh, goes both ways. Consistency, where the same word shows up over and over and over again, but it gets translated different ways based on the context of the, of the, uh, of the passage— uh, which makes it difficult for English readers to notice that these same words are shown over and over and over again. Or they'll take the same word and give it slightly different English words based on the context. And So I agree with you, they give us a disservice, uh, do us a disservice, and make our jobs harder in the world. But I'm still not saying that it's undermining my amillennial view. By the way, this is the Frederick Faith Debate uh, on 930 WFMD. I'm Troy Skinner. Our guest this week is Travis Finley, he hosts a podcast called Rethinking Revelation. And uh, very quiet this week is Dr. Jace Broadhurst from Foolsville Baptist Church. So anyway, I didn't... No, that's okay. Out, but I have to do that. Right I know. We're, we're, constrained. we're constrained for time. Um, the, the coming of the Son of Man. The I will say that the, the Bible is uniform. The, the New Testament is uniform. The... Uniform meaning... Meaning that. Consistent. In its theme and, and in, in meaning, yeah. If you start, yeah, if I you the start with was about Jesus. I, I would say, you, yeah, yeah, sure. You're kind of rolling your eyes. No, right? no, no. I mean, it's, but that's that's still. That's not as. It, yeah, it, there's still that has to more that has to be said. Uh, I, I would agree with that, but there's still there's still more. If you start reading in the Book of Matthew and you start to um, study the coming of the Son of Man, I'm going to study this topic and you write down every occurrence of the coming of the Son of Man, okay? however many they are, I'm going to say, I believe they are all the same coming. So when the disciples say to Jesus, tell us when all of these things will happen, and what will be the sign of your coming, and of the end of the age, that coming is within the context of every single coming reference that precedes it. Because Jesus is talking about the coming of the Son of Man, the coming of the Son of Man, the coming of the Son of Man. So your partial preterism is okay with what I've said so far, because there is a, there is good agreement in terms of the way we can understand certain aspects of this. But when we talk about the coming of Jesus, that changes the topic, because what you think about the coming of Jesus and what I'm saying the coming of Jesus is in, in terms of how I understand the New Testament, that's where we're going to uh, divide. There are certain people that I've talked to who will say, well, this pa- this passage here is the, the final coming, the second coming. This one I can say, okay, is, yeah, this happened in eighty seventy. And I'm going to say, you can't do that. You can try, but you cannot consistently. What's the purpose of the second coming in, in the Old preterist view? Jesus came in A.D. 70 and accomplished what in that covenant? He brought an end to the old covenant system. He brought an end to Torah. Torah is over with. My new metaphor for this is the yellow brick road and the emerald city. Torah is the emerald, I'm sorry, Torah is the yellow brick road. It was intended for you to follow and lead and and follow its lead and walk along. And it would come to an end. The, prom- the problem with the Jews in Jesus' time is they idolatrate. they uh, worshipped the law. They, they made the law the end instead of the means to the end, which is why they killed Jesus. Doesn't Paul say in his letters that that is already true when he writes that we're set free? From the bondage to the law. Yeah, but right, right. But and you he have writes that before eighty seventy. Sure. So, Christ but you also have Paul offering sacrifices in the Book of Acts and paying tribute in the temple. So there are crossover. There, there's that. There's that already not yet kind of transition. Right. But I, I, my understanding is that the set freedom from the law happens at the cross, not forty years later. That's where I I suppose what we can talk about in that instance is there are shades of fulfillment that don't come to it. So okay, so you already mentioned it already. Not yet. It's a forty-year process. There is something that 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 crossover. Yeah, yeah. You have the inauguration. Jesus inaugurates the death of the law, so to speak, on the cross. Yes, I agree with that. Right. However, the the vindication, ultimately, of Christ is not the resurrection. It's not the ascension. It's whether or not his words come to pass about the destruction of the temple. The destruction of the temple is the final exclamation point of the story of Torah. The, the, the destruction of the temple is an aspect of Torah that couldn't have been accomplished on the cross. Because God has, saw, has seen fit, to what Peter says, what, uh, in uh, in the last days, mockers will come and say, where's the promise of his appearing? Everything's gone on since the beginning of the world. And Peter says, you don't understand what you're saying. God is being patient with you, not willing that you should perish. Not go to hell, perish in the destruction of the temple. So what we have to understand is, is that There's an aspect of the fulfillment of the law on the cross. There's also an aspect of the fulfillment of the law during the 40-year period. Read Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, God said that Israel made him jealous by going after false gods. God says in Deuteronomy 32, I am going to make you, my people, jealous by another nation. That happens in the New Testament. The the gospel goes out to the nations, and the Jews hate that message. They want to kill Paul because he's We're going, going to the he's going to the Gentiles. So there's there's an overlap. It's not a it's not just a done one and done. So what I'm going to say, I guess, to to try to reiterate is the destruction of the temple is an aspect of fulfilling Torah because that was the Built-in system that God organized. Torah is the yellow brick road, and it comes to an end. When it ends, and you walk past that threshold, you're in the kingdom. You don't need a sign anymore once you've reached there. Yeah. Now I can tell that Jace is beginning to itch to want to either comment or ask questions for clarification, whatever. But we're running out of time. we will going to do one more. <sighs> right. We usually do about four shows in an arc with a panel. I think we going to do. I'm more. sorry. I'm not. More succinct, guys. Well, no, it's a it's a big issue, a big question with lots of caveats. You want to be careful because you don't want the whole world shouting heretic. Unless you are one, then you should be called one, and I can call you back to uh, right thinking. Right thinking. Oh, seriously, yeah, I say that no, that's fine. kind of jokingly, but if I had a view every sort saying heretic, 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 I'd be like, either you guys are all wrong, or, you know what? Now that I think about it, yeah, I need to get my views in line. So I, I think that's where you are, actually. I think that you're... Um, I'm frustrated because you haven't said very much that I feel like doesn't fit my paradigm. Well, that's great. So I'm like, I think that's great. Why do you feel the need to identify as a full preterist? Because I you think Jesus is yet. coming back and he's not. But okay, I guess I he's haven't heard. Here are some theological buzzwords for you. Partial preterists, consistent preterists, amillennialism, millennialism, postmillennialism, covenant theology, dispensationalism, hermeneutic, pre trib, mid trib, post trib, Armageddon. These words most often come up in the discussion of last things, end times, the end of the world, in other words, eschatology. When study of the Bible for answers to these sorts of questions come up, is it okay to allegorize biblical prophecies or should things be understood more literally? How literally? How allegorically? And why? And how should this be done to remain within the scope of orthodoxy? Participating in this discussion with Jace and me this week is truck-driving blogger uh, who attended Reform Theological Seminary, He has his MDiv from there. and He hosts a podcast called Rethinking Revelation, uh, Travis Finley. And He's said some things that were rather striking, controversial even, over the last few weeks, and yet I'm not sure why he feels the need to say things in such dramatic, controversial ways, because so far, other than the, the rhetorical shock factor, which I, I, I'm i like, well, I can't agree with that because that's just too rhetorically shocking, but when he gets into explaining what he's trying to mean by those rhetorically shocking statements, so far I'm like, I agree with all of that so far. So I think that that's fantastic. Yeah, so, I, I don't I don't think it's... I think it actually is kind of shocking. If we, I mean, not for perhaps the people in this room, but some of the things that he's been saying are, are are very strange. I'm sure your listeners are saying, how can you agree with the things that he's been talking about? This some of them, some of them are going to be like that, yeah. <laughs> well, I can't agree that Jesus isn't coming back. <laughs> so, but can you, I, but you might be able to agree with the way he said. Like... He might still, I mean, we haven't found out. I can't wait to find out the big reveal, here, the big apocalypsis, right? Um, he, he was saying Jesus came back then. That's what he was referring to. He came back in 70 AD. So you might be able to say to some sense that you would agree with that statement, but you're hoping for more. You would say, I, okay, if that's the case, if that's what he was referring to by those sentences, by those you know verses and things like that, then yeah but still aren't we still waiting for something else isn't there going to be like you know aren't aren't the isn't the child going to play by the snake's hole isn't there going to be a peaceable kingdom isn't isn't all aren't all the tears going to be removed from our eyes isn't there going to be a tree of life for the healing of the nations aren't these all futuristic isn't there something else and now i won't speak again to (laughs) travis yeah yeah um like what do you do with those last couple chapters of Revelation? At least that's that's the kingdom. That's the kingdom, and so you have Revelation twenty-one that says, "Behold, I saw a new heavens and a new earth. The former heavens and the former earth has passed away again." That goes straight back to Isaiah sixty-five. Same stuff. Okay. Former things. God says the former things will not be remembered. Okay. What follow? What falls underneath that umbrella of former things? I'm gonna say Torah. Everything that Torah produces is the former things, categories, themes, ideas, so that when we are looking at Revelation 21 and we see that there is no more C, if we don't understand uniformity of language and we don't understand what the C represents in the Old Testament, what is it, Chase? Uh, Chaos? Or and? Um, And? the nations I mean that's yeah you and I have talked about that before okay yes just keep going yes. okay all right so we, we see that I think in the in the in the Old Testament that the sea is differentiated from the land the land is representative of Israel and the sea are the nations okay that consistency when we go into Revelation 21 after the end of it all there are no more Gentile Jew distinctions. Because that's Torah. Torah introduced those categories. Torah has come to an end. Therefore, those categories are over with. If death is interpreted in the category or in the under the umbrella of Torah, then what Torah teaches about death has come to an end. What do you mean? We still die? Right. Because that's not what Torah is about there's and and you look if you look at uh Psalm 102 I think Psalm 102 is a personification of the temple and the temple is bemoaning its experience under Torah and guess what it's doing it's crying it's weeping under the constraints of Torah and that's what revelation says is going no more tears Now, you brought up the temple of First of all, let me go on the sea thing. I'm not, I'm not sure what I think about that. So, if somebody doesn't uh, uh, equate the sea with the nations, then that would kind of unravel some of. That's a pretty important uh, presupposition to having a consistent uh, view on scripture. So, but yeah, but it's right? it's it's a predominant view that is out there. That the sea not... are the nations. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not familiar with that. I'll do some study on that. But anyway, the temple yeah. imagery is important. I think this. I agree. There's the temple imagery throughout. I mean, you've got the... What's happening in Eden, I think, is temple imagery. And then you can see that play out and the construction of the temple with all of the garden imagery and stuff. So there's a, there's, a, there's a temple theme there. And the temple continues. And in Revelation, lots of temple imagery. So from beginning to end and all throughout the middle, lots of temple imagery... Uh But the temple is a type. It, it's not about the temple; it's about what the temple represents. About getting back to what was available in Eden. And this is how I've understood it. Right, and this so, is a, this is another huge jump that that I'm gonna try to jump in real quick and and just throw out again. I the the opening chapters of Genesis are eschatological. They are talking about Torah. They're talking about Israel under Torah. The temple is a depiction of God's plan in now, that history. Would only be true if Torah was written late. So you must be believing Torah was written late. Uh, we. When when was the last time the Old Testament was edited? Uh, well, it wasn't there. So I don't right. Know. right. Yeah. So you don't. Probably. You don't know. Yeah. I, I would yeah. put. I would put. No, just, I would just put wait. the context of under. Well, of understanding the the Old Testament in the exilic period. I if you listen to my podcast, I've talked about the the crux of interpretation being the prophets. We need to understand the language of the prophets because the prophets are talking about Genesis 1 and they are talking about Revelation 22. It's the same thing, right? I think the okay. prophets can be talking about Genesis without Genesis necessarily being like, second temple literature, for example. If I think, it's not that it, I'm not saying that, that it's a second temple literature. I'm Wrote to it or, or compiled it or had a huge influence on it. And if that's the case, and that predates the temple, the construction of the temple. Right? I'm just trying to get my head around this. It's okay. Yeah, well, so you're holding it, to a mosaic authorship, or yeah. at least a fundamental mosaic authorship. So, but, but getting back to the, the, the bigger picture, if the temple represents, what, what does the temple represent? The Torah? No, no. The, well, the temple is a is a const, The temple is a construct under Torah. It's a part of the yellow brick road that is being used by God to move humanity into the future. Keep NT right. Keep all of NT right. But talking about but the, jump the, this into preterism right in the, on the Bible the mm-hmm. typology and symbol and stuff. What is the temple meant to symbolize? Would I take it to symbolize Eden. Uh, it's the temple is meant to represent God's plan to glorify, exalt, and transfigure humanity into his divine counsel. This world is not our home. We are destined for heaven. But we couldn't get there. There was no human being in heaven until the ascension. Torah is ascension. Torah is all about ascension. Torah was about moving humanity into the future. And God set up, for whatever reason, Torah. And you have the temple, the Holy of Holies, right? The ascension makes no sense. Christ's ascension into the heavens in terms of what Hebrews tells us. He goes into the actual place. Not one made with human hands. Why? Why would he go there as a man unless that's where we're supposed to go? That's what the entire yeah, see, now that's where you begin to lose me, I guess. Because he goes there to intercede on behalf of those who are his, and then it seems like there's this idea at least I've always understood this idea that we're not gonna go there. He's gonna bring right, yeah. it here. Right, yeah. That's that's post-millennial, amillennial theology that i don't think is valid. What that's is, you you so, so you're you're working is, out what of the is, construct of the new Jerusalem or heavenly Jerusalem mean. That's its people, its covenant people. Right. So when you say isn't he going to bring us back here, why would he do that? Well, because of the new heavens and the new earth. And that's talking about people. That's not talking about the physical orb and Okay. So the, So that's the construct that you would be operating under. That's where you and I are talking about talking past each other. In heaven, in the divine council with God, is is in this view that you're talking about. I didn't hear you. The the, everybody ends up in heaven in the divine council with God in the end. And what we just we abandon the the planet Earth. We abandon the physical universe. I. This is where I don't have all of the answers, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But I. I believe to a certain extent, I have a friend who's a full preterist, and he has gone farther than I have in this discussion with an Eastern Orthodox flavor. And that is that he believes that the saints that have gone before us are actually participating in this world somehow in the unseen realm. That is, in, in, in his mind, there is an aspect of this world becoming more heavenized in God's plan, and that's part of it. Okay, that's where he's at. That's farther than where I'm at. I don't know, but I know enough to where I'm saying after we die, that's not the end. And the and what most people talk about when they talk about the resurrection, you know, you can't you're a full preterist, so it means you don't believe in the resurrection. No, I believe in the resurrection, but I believe that was under Torah and has to do with what happened to Israel under Torah. What you're talking about is the ascension, which is what I believe, which is what I'm holding on to. The reason why I have a future hope of life with God in heaven is because of the ascension. He's Travis Finley. I'm Troy Skinner. This is the Faith to on 930 WFMD. And hopefully about to speak, because we haven't heard much from him, is uh, Dr. Chase Rogers from Coolsville Baptist Church. It look like you're ready to kind of chime yeah, in. Yeah, I, I don't know what I was going to say. And I, you oh, over. I'm but, sorry. Well, well I, I tried to interrupt you, that was my fault. Um, <laughs> my, yeah, the problem with all of this is I keep finding all these little things that I want to nitpick on, and then I realize, okay, that's not that big of a deal. I, I want to keep moving, but then I'm still stuck on those things. Right, so but those yeah. are the good questions that are interesting for discussions, but we don't have right, that Right, but with only left. So, do. the kingdom is an aspect, okay? The kingdom is still here. Everything that you want to do in the kingdom, do it. Redeem culture. Transform this world. We we talk about that anyway, as post-millennialists we'll, we'll, and all-millennials. We'll, let's see if we... I mean, this is going to be, I think, our last show in this arc. We will have you on again. We can pick back up some at some point, but we've got about, you know, less than 10 minutes now. So, let's... I can't figure out if I wanted to agree with you. I'm not saying that I do or don't. I mean, right now I'm not persuaded that I need to. But if I wanted to agree with you, I would feel like I need to have a reason. That there needs to be some necessary reason to throw out all of my uh, training and learning and study and understanding and all these paradigms and these apps that you I get referenced in the past about you know, a lot these operating system apps rolling in our heads. To, to replace all of that, I'm just not seeing... The reason. Because was, was there judgment on Jerusalem uh, with the destruction of the temple in 8070? Yes, and I can say that without being a full proterist. So what what is it what is it that makes you feel compelled that you have to take on the mantle of full proterism? Be- I haven't heard that yet. Like I said, maybe you've said it, I'm just not hearing it. Because what you would understand and anticipate is the second coming, is not. It's the coming on and in ju- judgment on Jerusalem to end the old world. Everything that you say is going to happen in the future has already happened. Okay, well, that's a pronouncement of an opinion, but it's not an argument to persuade me. So, how Well, I have to be general to a certain extent to say... But why can I expect that it's not going to happen? You say he's because not the New back. Testament is not about that. The New Testament is uniformly about the end of Torah. Okay, so so as we're reading Revelation, we're generally looking at Revelation as something that's going to be futuristic, or many people are, or at least some parts of Revelation are future. What you're arguing is we're we're misreading Revelation. We should rethink Revelation. For instance, we should say the things that Jesus said, the things that John said. Those have been fulfilled. Those already took place. So the questions that we have, I'm just asking, maybe I'm asking this question. The questions that we have about the future are still very up in the air. Like we don't have because revelation isn't answering those questions or these these. Texts right. Aren't. You have to be so okay I with that tension. People ask questions like, "Well, was it evolution or was you know was there an original Adam or anything like that?" I'm thinking, I, I don't know the answers to all of those things. All right. I'm trying to say is that's not what the text is talking about. The text is, that's not its issue. It, it's dealing with something else. So anytime that we come up with things like, well, it says that Jesus is coming back, you say, well, yes, but that's referring to something different. So anything that we're going to talk about from Scripture is is ending, culminating in 70 AD. So we could still have, could we still have questions about a return of Jesus, but it just, we wouldn't be talking about the biblical return of Jesus. We'd be talking about. And I would ask you, where are you getting this? Right. We'd be totally speculative. We'd just be making stuff up like we we're just hoping something like that is going to happen, so we could believe it. But you're just saying, okay, fine, believe it, but it's not based on the Bible. That's not what the Bible is trying to do. Okay, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So one of the reactions too is, is okay. You've asked this. So, so what now? I mean, what what now? That is a non sequitur. That doesn't follow. Is Exodus in the past? The book of Exodus what mm-hmm. happened. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Does it have any relevance for us? Sure. There you go. There's your answer. Just because the New Testament is closed, just because—well, it has relevance because it points to our eschatological hope. No, we're living in the result of the eschatological hope. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> well, that's that's why that that's where again the presuppositions your operating system. Do you watch cable news? <laughs> um, but you know, think about it. If you if you were a few generations after the Exodus from Israel, or from Egypt. All right, and you look at what God did. It's the same idea to think, "Well, that's going to happen again." That's what we're doing with the New Testament. Why are you saying this has to happen again? This is about an event that happened in the past. Yeah, but Exodus actually gives us a pretty good the Exodus event gives us a pretty good example of this because you kind of wanted to toss out the already not yet thing. But I think there's an example of that for us right there in the Old Testament when the people. Uh, when the Israelites were delivered from Egypt, they were already delivered. They were already free. And yet, they were not in the promised land for another 40 years. There's, they're already free. And yet, so I think there's, there's it's right there. And there's an the echo of that we're living out right now, where we're already free. Christ has already died on the cross for us. And yet, from my point of view, he hasn't returned yet. So we're living. Returned to do what? So we're, we're still living in that forty to to usher us into the promised land, the new Jerusalem. The we're in that. That's where we are. We're in the kingdom. The kingdom came. That's so. That's the whole language. That's where you've got your operating system giving you categories that conflict with what it's, I'm saying. It's established, but it's not fully consummated. That's your, that's your operating right. system. That's but you yours. said keep, you said keep calm, right? right but you have to go past Tom Wright you have to he it's he's, he's just, on the He's coming and, putting, and bringing things back to rights so that's what we're looking for that's free mm-hmm. no yeah but uh, right so right I I, I I can only say so much right but I'm saying yes Tom Wright is is right but he hasn't gone far enough it, which is what I is crazy I'm like look at this why I which I makes it step. which is like me I'm like yeah. who am I he's anti right, right who am I to say he's not gone far enough but that's, that's where you're at. That's right? where that's I'm right? at. That's, like, that's where I'm at. Yeah. But that's it. So the tree of life, you bring up the tree of life. Okay. The tree of life is the kingdom. It's the king. That's why I'm saying to you that Genesis 2 is eschatological. Genesis 2 is Torah leading to the tree of life. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is Torah. It's if read Deuteronomy 30 and read um, Luke 15, with the, the parable of the lost son. The parable of the lost son is Jesus's midrash commentary interpretation of Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30 is the context to understand Genesis 2. Moses says, I've set before you the law. I've, 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 I've given you the law. I have set before you life, and I've, and I've set before you death. Therefore, choose life. Okay, the law is all about leading up to life. They didn't have it. They cried out for it. They were under anguish for it over and over and over again. They did not have life until Christ. Christ brought the end of the law and he brought the kingdom. He brought the tree of life. He brought that which is healing for the nations. Because we don't see this world transformed, guess whose yeah. fault that is? Maybe it's ours. Maybe it's just uh, you know okay, yeah. a, a, a hair split on word choice or something. But uh, I don't understand the Bible in Matthew. Jesus doesn't say that he came to end the law. In fact, he goes out of his way to say, I have not come to end the law. I've come to fulfill it. And he goes on to amplify the requirements of the law, making it even Harder. No, see, I disagree with that. You have to listen to my podcast on Matthew five. He comes Jesus doesn't to say he didn't come to end the law; I come to fulfill it. Okay, that's, a start, that's... I think. okay. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> fulfillment is ending. It's bringing it to its its completion. That's the it's the yellow brick road. The yellow brick road is fulfilled when you cross the threshold and walk into the kingdom, into the Emerald City. That's fulfillment. Christ comes to bring it to an end. I, you know, so if you want to quibble about why I'm about my saying end, the telos is all throughout the New Testament. The telos, the telos, the telos. Maturity. In the Old Testament, we were children. Now we are mature, I'm good with that. and Genesis we're being two, yeah. and okay. we're being made into the image of Christ, and that is what is eschatological. Genesis one, two, and three begin the story of what God is doing in humanity through Israel. He chooses Israel. Depicts to them what history should look like, and they refused to move into the future when Christ came. But the future came anyway, and they lost out. I feel like we have another clip hanging, <laughs> but we have no more shows. So, anyway, thank you, Travis Finley, for being on. James Rogers, thank you again, my friend. Thank, thank you, you our sponsor, you for ILO listening. Auto Sales and Tire pro of Frederick. and Thank you for listening. Again, visit us online at wfnb.com forward. Faith. I'm Troy Skinner. And- All right, well, hopefully you could, uh, you could tell that we were uh, enjoying ourselves talking about the end times, the second coming, eschatology, and the fulfillment of all things in the kingdom of God in Christ. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that we can uh, pick that conversation back up and finish a lot of stuff that uh, still needs to be talked about because it's such a very broad uh, subject. I, I really think that so many people are able to be uh, persuaded from different arguments. And it's not just everyone is persuaded by the same explanation for why you believe this or why you believe that. So I think the conversation is important to have and important to carry on. And uh, I think that uh, we showed that uh, we could be uh, amicable and uh, hospitable to each other. All right, so that's it. Yeah, there you go. I'm Travis Finley, your host with Rethinking Revelation, visit us on Twitter, Rethinking Revelation Facebook, same thing, and RethinkingRevelation.com. Please visit on iTunes and review, even just say good show, bad show, I don't care, just as long as there's traffic, and uh, give us some feedback. All right, until next time.